6 o'clock. Always a good time to call Baird Brothers. Featuring fine hardwood since 1960. This is News Radio 570 WKBN, Youngstown. The following is a paid program and does not necessarily represent the views of iHeartMedia. Securities and advisory services offered through Investicorp, member FINRA, SIPC. Information provided during the J. Arnold Wealth Management Company show is intended for informational purposes only and should not be considered advice. Please consult with your own investment advisor or tax advisor before making any investment decisions. This is the J. Arnold Wealth Management Show. And uh, from News Radio 570, WKBN and Ron Verb, live from Stadium GM. Tonight till 7, and John Arnold's uh, on the end of our line. We're going to talk about what happens in the markets today. And, John, let's uh, start by talking a little bit about Facebook. They say that was just one factor behind an ugly sell-off in uh, the stocks that took the Dow down today. And so what was the problem with Facebook? Uh, something regarding their analytics, um, Cambridge analytics, and and how it's it's, it's creeping in the people's lives more than it was allowed to, uh, and, and some some kind of legal reporting uh, solicitation, something or other. I, I couldn't really get an in-depth analysis of of what they were saying uh, exactly what the wrongdoing was because they vaguely described it in the news. All that all that I know is. It, they overstepped their boundaries, to put it uh, vaguely, into what they were allowed to do as far as uh, soliciting to us as Facebook users, and and it also somehow uh, infiltrated into the uh, Trump campaign and 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 how they were uh, digitally advertising to Facebook users. So, but I have to tell you, Facebook as a whole uh, is is a is a pretty big company, but. In my opinion, I don't see that as the main reasoning for the market downturn today. All right. Well, they say some of the other reasons, the tech sector, which led the bounce back from February's lows, was leading on the downside Monday. Uh, any thoughts about the tech sector? Yeah. I mean, the tech sector uh, has been leading the charge, really, for the past three years as far as the, uh, the sectors go, as far as, like, the FANG stocks. When I talk about FANG stocks, Included in that is Facebook, Netflix, Google, which is also known as Alphabet, um, and some other ones, Apple, of course. And, you know, it, it took it on the chin today for no other reason than speculation and some some bad news on Facebook. But it just goes to show you how manipulative and how manipulated the stock market is because that really, if you think about it, Facebook and the tech sector has no bearing on some of the other stuff that's doing so well, which is industrials and building and building materials and housing and banking and, and other things that are coming up. I, I, I think it's just all manipulative, and I think it's a, it, it's a way for uh, big money to run it down a little bit before another great round of um, quarterly earnings. And I think by this Friday or Monday, which is a complete guess, I think you're going to see it you know, rebound. I think, honest, except for Facebook. I think Facebook has had its run. Uh, I can do a, um, a recommendation on the show. I will say this. Um, I'm bearish on it, and uh, in my own portfolio, I'm probably looking to sell it. We've made a lot of money on it since the IPO, a lot. And, and people even getting into it later off the IPO, we've had you know, ridiculous returns on it. I think it's had its run. Uh, it's kind of old hat, 
in the I think it's uh, made the most money it's going to make. I originally had Facebook as like a, a an alphabet or slash Google as like a seven hundred eight hundred dollars stock in my mind, but I don't I just don't think it's I don't I don't think it's going to get there. I don't think it's as uh, powerful as it once was, and too many competitors and too many people starting off, and uh, I think it's had its day. All right, which is, I'm going to get back to that momentarily because that kind of is surprising news. Now, some of the other reasons they say the market went down has to do with the trade and and personnel concerns. They say the uncertainty from the White House on trade and personnel problems that they're having, but the bigger concern was it could start a global trade war. And also they say it's the market is jittery because of what the Fed could do as far as interest rates are concerned. Are those factors in today's activity? Uh, the, the up and down and the uncertainty in the White House, I don't believe, in my opinion, is that much of a concern. I don't know if Wall Street really gives a, you know, what patoot uh, about that. But I do believe the interest rates are a concern. You know, they want to make sure that they're increasing these interest rates at a very slow pace and that, you know, it's not over the top and, um, you know, they're, taking, they're not taking the foot off the brake uh, really fast. So, I think that's a concern, and it's a valid concern. If you have prime at four and a half, and uh, all of a sudden next next quarter it's at five or five and a half, even that's really going to uh, send some credit markets into a frenzy or a tizzy. Because well, we'll find out if we're, we're prepared for that, and I don't think we are. I think it needs to slowly be done, and um, that's the way it's going to go. So all right. So, so you give me your give me your thoughts. So, you said Facebook. You don't think was the reason. So, why did the market go down today? It was manipulated. Do you think by big money? Is did I hear that right? Yeah, yeah. That's 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 normally my reasoning, um, it, and, and it's always going to be. Well, it's not going to always be my reasoning, but and and, and a volatile market that's going up and down, uh, three or four hundred points on the Dow, hundred points on the Nasdaq, or. 25 to 35 points on the S&P, I think big money's manipulating because they control the volume. Um, I, I don't think any one certain particular uh, catalyst in today's market is really the, you could say, well, this is definitely why this is going down. I, I, I have a hard time believing that anybody can prove that to me if we went to court and tried to convince jury because I don't think it's going to be sold. I, I just don't. I think it's manipulated, over-manipulated, and... Uh, I think we're setting up for a really nice quarter, to, to be honest with you. I think earnings, we're going to have another record earnings season. And what better way to make money if you can drive the thing down artificially before big earnings come out and then we can double up on your money and your earnings. So I, I, I have no way to prove that, but I do think it's manipulated. I have to confess that I thought you'd be a little more nervous today as a result of some of the stuff that I was reading, but but you don't necessarily. Obviously, Facebook has an issue, and you're you're been a big buyer and supporter of Facebook. Now you're kind of uh, saying it might have run its course. Did I hear that correctly? In your opinion, I, I, I did. In my opinion, I think if you're uh, you know if you're a Facebook holder and you've made a lot of money. If you one of my clients, you've definitely made a lot of money on Facebook because we've held that since really in its around its IPO or at its IPO or a little bit above its IPO, and it's you know it's at the one seventy two one seventy mark that you made a ton of money on it. Uh, usually, I'll hold a you know a company like that and just as a mainstay in our portfolio, like an Amazon or an Apple. But in this case, like I said, I think it's had its run. 
Um, again, I can't stress enough to you if you're a listener out there. I'm not giving you advice. I don't know what you have, what your goals are, so make sure you talk with your own advisor before doing anything. I'm just talking about what I'm doing with my own portfolio, and like I said, I think it's, it's run its course. Right, but that's a major shift for you. I mean, just based on what's taking place lately, yeah. Two major shifts in our portfolios. Um, We're going to, I think we're going to take Facebook off the table. And when I say I think, it's because right now, today it was a horrible down day. And I I hate to sell a stock on on the news and on a horrible down day. I'm I'm hoping to sell on an up day and at least get a, a couple points ahead of it and try to get out the right, at least a little bit at the right price, rather than selling the, selling the fear. So, But if it keeps dropping like a falling knife, then I'll, I'll probably just get rid of it, take our big profits off, and, and move ahead. The other big change that we've done is we, we, we've actively, um, you know, went into the biotech sector about two months ago. I think that's right for the picking. Uh, you know, I, so we made that change there. Uh, one of the ETFs we're using is IBB which is a biotech ETF. And i got to tell you, biotechs are probably the riskiest thing you can buy in the stock market. They're made of a bunch of OTC stocks, and, um, you know, they're just very, very uh, very light volume on some of those. But when you buy a fund, uh, it encaptures hundreds of those type of stocks, and now you have a better chance of winning. But we thought the biotechs were right for the picking because they got hurt in November. So that's one of the... That's one of the few allocation uh, reallocations that we applied to our models, and looks like we're going to obviously eject Facebook from our model and find another one of those, hopefully. All right, so so some shifting is taking place, basically, is what is what I hear. This is what you're doing. You're adjusting your models. Yeah, and I'm proud to say we are doing that because that's what we do different. So we don't just, you know put you in four or five American funds and send you a Christmas card and tell you that's the way it's going to go, which I find ridiculous. Um, so, you know, there's some active management going on. Uh, we're, look- we're looking for our next, um, you know, we're looking for our next Facebook, and that's hard to find right now because the ideas, so far my ideas have been right on the money. Um, and, and I'm, like I said, we're trying to find our new Facebook, and sometimes it's not so apparent out there. You know, it, Snapchat was a bomb. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things that were that we thought were going to come out that we're just going to knock the stock off the ball, but didn't. But overall speaking, we we just didn't, we haven't been able to find another Facebook here in the past couple of months, and I think maybe that biotech ETF might be a, a good play. We'll see. But uh, we're, you know, right now we're we're shifting things slowly. Our other stuff inside the model is doing fantastic, beating the market. And, and, right. I, and when I say I beat the market, I'm doing it with less risk, I believe, because we're dealing with exchange-traded funds and, uh, you know, very little individual equities. And uh, that's important because when you talk about beating the market, a lot of guys or a lot of teams or women have to go and try to stock pick and, and try to stock their pay, pick out of beating the market, and that's normally a hard it's almost an impossible thing to do. So, so far, so good with our models. We'll see. But so far, so good. Can you, can you explain to me so that I understand? What, what is your fascination with that? What, what did you call it, the biomedical area? What, I mean, what, what is it? <coughs> well, give me, give, just explain biotech. your thinking. Yeah, what, what, what was there about biotech that drew you in that direction? 
Well, I've always, I have a medical background, so um, healthcare, hospitals, anything medically related always interests me. I think I have uh, maybe a little bit of a, head, uh, a faster understanding than most, I'd say, advisors because I came from the medical field um, on it. So it attracts, you know, I'm very attracted to it. But more importantly, if you look at, like, where people get really wealthy real quick uh, from an, an over-the-counter stock, it's when they, they purchase a biotech at, say, maybe two, and FDA, FDA trial phase three passes, and all of a sudden their $2 stock goes to, like, a $20, $25 stock because, you know, it, this is obviously hypothetical. Let's say it cured cancer, which has not been found yet, obviously, but let's say it did. Then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're very small stock. It was traded in really late volume. All of a sudden it's huge volume, and it's trading, you know, at $20, $30. So... Well, the problem for me is, is you know, as, as much as I know, I don't know enough on the biotech end. You're not going to get, you're not ever going to know enough unless you're the on a board of directors for the company or an insider, which I'm not allowed to be. So what I do is I, I, I broaden that risk with an ETF. So an ETF that holds many biotechs inside of it. In addition to that, I'm, I'm borrowing, you know, the guys that are managing the funds' brains. You know, people that are have graduated from MIT or Harvard or uh, any of the Ivy League schools or even, even you know, a medical school at Ohio State, et cetera, you know, these people are brilliant, and, and I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm an average intelligence guy, hard worker, but I know my limitations. So if I'm borrowing those brains and I'm spreading my risk across, an ET, you know, an ETF, um, and, I, and I'm catching this thing off November to where, in my opinion, you know, the market overreacted to anything healthcare related because they thought that Donald Trump was going to take away any kind of funding or, I don't know, any kind of subsidies for, for, for advancement of medicine, which was complete bogus and crap. But, you know, again, fear and greed drive the market here. It, it artificially ran biotechs down. So in the old-fashioned way of thinking, you buy low and so high, my thinking is, okay, we got a, we got a, a sector here that's, you know, traditionally, as a powerhouse, when things are good, uh, broaden my risk by using an ETF to borrow some brains by, again, using an ETF. Three and four, it's the money's liquid in the event that I'm wrong. I can get out of the market with a stop loss or uh, just a quick sell instead of waiting for the end of the market day, like mutual funds trade. Uh, I can see the top ten holdings transparently where it shows me they're the top 40 holdings. If I had to, I can call the company that holds the ETF and, you know, ask them, you know, questions about why and what and if. I have, I have uh, market tools to do that. I can, shoot, I can see the volume on the ETF. There's, there's many factors to answer your question, but overall, it was a buy low, sell high to, to situation, Ron, and to where if, even if I made 8% this year on it and, and one day one of their big components announced a phase three trial, uh, and, it, and it caused the fund to go up, say, 30% overnight, I'm, I'm still going to be a winner. So, um, it, you know, and it's all, I, also, all have to, I have to disclose that that type of fund is only for aggressive to very aggressive uh, traders, people who, I should say investors, people who are willing to take it on the chin for a couple of years in lieu of getting a, a 40% return. I didn't overweight into that particular category, you know, no more than 5% of our model into that because it is, it is such a speculative, aggressive holding. But um, it, it is a holding that I believe in, and 
Um, it's something I understand, I guess, better than the average bear. And uh, biotexins are, are, are the reason why medications that you never heard of become medications that you do hear of. That There's someone out there that, or a group of team of scientists that are um, you know, performing uh, various tests and trial and errors and all kind of trials and phases to eventually get a vaccine or a, a medicine to conquer a certain thing uh, to defeat a disease. And, you know, not all of them are winners. As, as a matter of fact, I would hesitate to say that maybe even 20% of them are winners. But, man, when you get a winner, it's it's a bottle rocket. It's lights out. So it's something I believe in. It's something for our risk toler our people with a high risk tolerance. And, uh, like I said, it's something I understand. All right. I, now I want to back up on one other thing. When I when I'm reading in the business pages, and just give me your thoughts once again, where they're t- where they're talking about the turmoil in the White House and a potential trade war and the Fed raising interest rates. Give me your thinking. You don't think that any of that is really a factor in any of this, or is it, or not much of one? Just give me your overview well, on that. Overall, using just our common sense approach here, if there was a trade war trade war uh, pending. The market would have fell 1,500, 2,000 points and probably been the catalyst for a bear market because we're due for a bear market. But the problem with, that, but the problem with us being due for a bear market is we have a president and, 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 and economically things that are going so in the right direction and in, in, in such a bullish direction that it's going to take, you know, a, a catastrophic event like a, a trade war to cause that. So. Okay, I'm talking in the circles a little bit, so let me put it plainly. If a trade war was going to happen, big money would have known it's going to happen. So they would have got ahead of it, and they would have started started shorting the market and started selling things with no particular reason and made the money made money on the way down. That's not happening. Uh, you know, for the past three, two or three times, the market's down fell down 500 to. 300 points, by the end of the week, it recovered as if it never happened. If there was a, a real trade war about to happen, with big money knowing, big money knowing it's going to happen, believe me when I tell you, the ship, have already, the ship had already sunk. It had been a doomsday. As far as interest rates go, same thing. Uh, I think from a common sense standpoint, they might have an increase here, probably will, because things are doing really, really well. And they're trying to keep inflation in check, but it's going to be a moderate increase if there is one. And a moderate increase is not a bad thing. A moderate increase is probably needed. It's probably healthy. So I, I don't believe that those particular things are the reason uh, solely for uh, this market downturn today. I think it's a combination of things, but more than anything, it's an excuse to drop the market to get ahead of what's going to be a great earnings season. All right, we're talking with John Arnold's uh, Truth and Investing Show, News Radio 570 WKBN. All right, so, and with all of that being said, let me just, I was looking for some things that I wanted to pass along to you. For example, uh, an article here, U.S. consumer confidence hits 14-year high. Uh, the number of food stamp-dependent Americans hits a six-year low as President Trump's first year in office reflecting an improving economy and falling unemployment. Those, I mean, those are all things that obviously are positives, right? You know, when they talk about, John, the turmoil in the White House, and then you read consumer confidence is at a 14-year high, and you read food stamp dependency is down, those things, uh, do those have a factor in the market or where it's going? 
Well, a little bit. When you have a, you mean a little bit of uncertainty, but I got to tell you, it's built in, and maybe I'm biased, but let's look at this. Let's look at this from a plain Jane conversation here. So we knew what Donald Trump was going to be when he got into the White House. He came out and said he's going to do certain things. He's going to shake things up. He's going to drain the swamp. He's going to clean house. And when I hear those terms, I got to tell you, I think turmoil. I think up and downs. I think uncertainty. So the, the American people voted in what he was going to give, and, and, and damn it, he gave it, and he's doing it. So I don't know if it's a big surprise to anybody. Now, the media, especially CNN, they like to, and CNBC, they like to make it, they make, they like to make it bigger than what it really is. It, it would be like, uh, you know, putting Youngstown State football team on the field with, the, you know, the Cleveland Browns, all right? We, we all, we're all going to be rooting for the Youngstown State Penguins, but at the end of the day, we know what we're getting. We're probably going to get a loss because the Cleveland Browns are full of all-star college players, and even our best YSU team is going to, going to compete with that. So my point in that analogy is this. You know what you got with Donald Trump. The market knows what it has with Donald Trump. So when people talk about, oh, there's so much uncertainty and we don't know, and, and it's affecting the market drastically, do you really buy into that? Uh, do you really think that Donald Trump was going to come in to the White House and things are going to be even Stephen and somewhat boring and just go along day to day with really no ups and downs? And if you believe that, I, I really feel sorry for someone in that you know who's that naive. And I'm, you know, so if, are you? Am I making any sense here, Ron? Yeah, I, th- I think you're making you know you're making sense. I'm just saying that to me, I, I have a number of things that are sitting here. To me, there's a contradiction out here. It's what my problem is. You know, you take a look at like a CNBC site that's saying, well, the turmoil in the White House and interest rates popping up could have an effect on the markets. But in the same news that I'm looking at, I don't see anything negative. I see consumer confidence, like I said, at a 14-year high. Stock or uh, food stamps at a low, and then I see where Larry Kudlow, and I want to get your thoughts on him. Uh, where you know Trump wants to put him as this economic guy, he predicts four to five percent growth, and he predicts an investment boom. Uh, he probably, he's going to be Trump's new economic advisor. Has privately told the White House that the nation's economy is on the verge of a four to five percent growth or more than double the last decade. In a recent gathering with Trump, he said that many firms held back investing until tax reform package passed, and some of that's already showing up. Once more, he told the president, we're on the front end of the biggest investment boom in probably 30 to 40 years. Uh, I'd like to get your comments on that. That's Larry Kudlow. I I love Larry Kudlow. He's probably the most objective brain on CNBC. He kind of gives it to you straight, just like you and I do. Hang on, uh, Hang on, I want to address that after the break, all right? All right, let's go to break and we'll go to that, yep. All right, put John on standby. I want to get his reaction, whether or not he agrees with Larry Kudlow, because, you know, there's there's mixed signals out there. We'll come back more with John Arnold till 7 tonight. The Investing Show, every Monday at 6, News Radio 570 WKBN, live from Stadium GM. I'll be back. This is the Ron Verb Show on News Radio 570 WKBN. The following is a paid program and does not necessarily represent the views of iHeartMedia. All right, News Radio 570 WKBN. 
And we're talking with John Arnold, Truth Investing Show. All right, give me your take then and, and your thoughts about Larry Kudlow. Because if you listen to what Larry Kudlow is saying, John, from an investment standpoint, which is what you do, he say, he's basically still the president. We're on the front end of the biggest investment boom in probably 30 to 40 years. Uh, your comments. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I, it's something that I've been talking on the show about for years, you have to. Uh, I, I shouldn't say for years, but for the, especially since Trump got in, and this, you know, this tax reform plan, I, I can't understand how anybody, and I mean anybody, Democrat, crazy liberal, all the way to crazy conservative, cannot love what happened here with the tax reform plan. And and sure enough, we're already seeing, like you said, we're seeing the, you know, the gifts that this thing has provided with, you know, discretionary spending going up, like you talk about growth on the on the rise, GDP growth. Uh, and, and unless we have a, uh, like you talk about, a black swan event, I see the growth continuing. I can't understand or, or why somebody wouldn't want to be part of that economically. I agree with everything that Larry's saying. And, I, and by the way, I think that he's a great choice for the job. It would be really interesting to find out how well he does in that position. All right, so but but you agree with them because if that's the case, you know, then there's plenty. Uh, no matter where the market is, and some people get nervous with highs and lows or some of the volatility. That, in other words, you, and you've been saying for a while there there's plenty of good uh, opportunity to come. Uh, you, so you would second that is what I'm what I'm asking. I do. Well, let me talk to you about one of my obviously my picks that I've been I've been touting since uh, Amazon was in the four hundreds. So let me get let me ask you what the guest is. I'm I'm giving you a true question here. How much percentage wise do you think that Amazon has of the retail market space of all the retail from a, from zero to one hundred percent? How much does Amazon hold as far as the retail space goes? Oh boy, I, you know what? Uh, let me think on this. I mean, uh, I'm going to go with a small percentage with 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 room to grow. I'm going to say they're at twenty percent. Two percent. Two percent is the answer. That's how much room Amazon has to grow. They currently only have two percent of the market space and retail space. So when people talk about, well, Amazon's taking over the world and, and taking over retail, they are. But here's the bad news, retailers. They're just getting started. So, you know, there's a, a paradigm shift. There's a, a total shift in the way we're going to shop and how America's going to do things. And, and as far as people who are invested in Amazon, I think they're going to be winners. I think they're going to be winners more than they already are. And uh, I, I, I just think that uh, it's a classic example of the future of America. Now, is that necessarily a good thing for, for us? No. But let me tell you this. If people are buying more product on Amazon, the, the way to win that battle and, the, and that war is, well, Somebody's got to be building the products that they're selling on Amazon. So the retailers not necessarily are going to be winners, but the people producing the products and the people shipping the products and the people packaging the products, those are going to be the winners. And that's going to be creating, obviously creating more jobs. And Amazon's a good employer. I mean, they give good benefits. They give, they give, decent, uh, they give decent pay. Uh, and obviously the, the providers that are giving the products to Amazon should. I don't know much. Obviously, I, I don't have... Uh, any kind of data support this, but I'm assuming well, the economy as it is that the the, the stay competitive with uh, good workers, they're going to have to obviously uh, be tops in the, in the labor department. So th- good things are ahead, is my point. Good things are ahead for the United States, and um, 
as long as we can keep a Black Swan event from happening, I see great things ahead. 100% would agree, uh, would agree with Larry. Uh, all right. And when you're talking about that, I was reading where Amazon is talking about getting into prescription drugs. I mean, they keep expanding, you know, to where they're talking about kind of getting into the service sector industry, getting into prescription drugs. I mean, you can see where their where, where their future is. And I say if Amazon gets into the drug prescription business, boy, that could be a big blow to like Walgreens and Rite Aid and those and those kind of places. So there's areas where they're just now talking about entering too, John. Oh, it's tip of the iceberg. It really is, and and so that's uh, that's that is going to be bad news. Like our guy Rich that calls him uh, a buddy of mine, uh, you know, pharmacists out there. That is going to be bad news because uh, you know Amazon's going to get in and, and unfortunately, you know, eat into that kitty a little bit. But the good news is that's going to be good for drug makers because drug makers are going to have to make more product, and that's going to be good for shippers. So. As I talked about before, you know, you know, when one door closes, there's another window that opens. It's one of those situations. You're just going to have to find a way to fit in. But the new America is definitely here. I don't know if it's a good America or if it's a bad America for people like us. But it's a reality. Joke, I'm sorry? It's a, it's a reality it is, that we have to It's a reality. Deal with. So you've got to find a way to fit in and make it profitable for yourself. All right. Now, next thing, next thing, next thing, I want to get your reaction to. Just uh, your reaction to. Forty percent of Americans are at risk of retiring broke, and uh, uh, bear with me. And then I want your comments. Nearly half of Americans have less than ten thousand dollars stashed away for retirement, according to a report by Go Banking Rates. For them, a serious lack of planning coupled with a longer life expectancy has destroyed any retirement dreams. At this rate, retirement is more of a fantasy than a reality for many people in this country. About forty. 42% of Americans have less than 10000 saved when they retire. Okay, and uh, let's see. According to GoBanking, rates released on Tuesday. We're already struggling to pay bills, GoBank rates said. The personal finance site pulled more than 1,000 adults online in February. Just bear with me for a second, John. For those with little or no savings, a serious lack of proper investment income and, plan and planning, coupled with longer life expectancy, destroyed retirement expectations, although millennials are most likely to have less than 10,000 safe. Older Americans are also becoming steadily more pessimistic about their future economic prospects, according to the study by United Income, a startup that aims to apply uh, data analysis to financial planning. Comments about that. I mean, that's a pretty serious issue when they're saying, excuse me, 42% of Americans are at risk of retiring broke. I want to get your thoughts about that story. Uh, to be honest with you, I thought the number you said was pretty low. I, was, I thought you were going to tell me 60%. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. But it's not, there's, a, there's a lot of um, reasonings behind this. It's not just because things are so high in cost, and that is definitely one of the reasons. But the other reason is, is we've changed our fundamental values in America of how we spend money. For instance, um, you, like when I, when I was growing up, we went out to eat maybe – Four to eight times a year, it was a special event when my dad would take me and my brother and sisters and my mom to a nice restaurant. Now, it seems like people are waiting out two or three times a week. You, with a fa- like my own family, when we got to eat, we're dropping 200 bucks at a time, and we're not getting a lot. I mean, we're getting maybe one appetizer, you know, a couple drinks and a, and a dinner, and that adds up. So, um, you know, people are not cutting coupons like they used to. Uh, a lot of thing, a lot of thing is instant gratification. So, 
it's a matter. It's a, I think it's a it's a combination of uh, the model of the household expenditure is way out of line, and two, things do cost a lot more than they used to. Like I talked about on the on the program here a lot is you go to the grocery store and you you you, you know you fill up a bucket a buggy of groceries, good stuff, you know, not junk but good stuff, eggs, bread, milk, uh, cold cuts, beef, etc. And if you're at 300 bucks, 300 bucks used to buy you three grocery carts full of food. Now it's one. Um, and then you combine that with you go to you go to entertain your family. You go to the ballpark. You go to the movies. Uh, you go to say Cedar Point or Disney World or Disneyland. You know the costs are outrageous. So it's one of those things to where mom and dad or or millennials say, you know what, uh, I'm going to die anyway, so I'm going to spend every dollar I have and. And whatever is left is left, and and uh, who cares about a rainy day? Whereas my parents, your parents, me included, I know for sure you, we're st- we're still savers. I mean, it's a number, it's the number one goal in our in my budget is I put at least ten percent of what we earn after our bills into, uh, you know, my simple IRA, uh, a dividend account, some kind of savings. I also. Uh, make sure that we always have four to six times the amount of, amount of our bills and our business account saved away, and the same thing in our personal account four to six times, and that keeps us out of credit card debt. So it's just simple fundamental planning that I think is lost in the American culture now, especially millennials. They don't believe in owning homes. They don't believe in having families. They don't believe in staying married to one person. And all those things are not good for the monetary budget. All those things aren't good for saving for a rainy day. So com- combine that with how much things cost now, it- it's a perfect scenario for less savings, of which you just described. And I-, I can't imagine going through life not knowing if my paycheck stops tomorrow, if my paycheck stopped tomorrow, that I- I'd have nowhere to turn to. That, that, would-, that, would-, that would keep me up at night. And... Uh, it's just the American way it seems to be, and it's it's dangerous. Yeah, but uh, uh, two interesting things. A, I thought 42% are, are going to basically live longer and retire broke, and you thought the percentage would be higher. I find that interesting because you deal with people on a, on a daily and weekly basis, including new clients that always come to see you. Then they come to see you because they've saved and they're looking to invest. I would have thought you would answer that question much lower, as a matter of fact, because you're always surrounded by people just the opposite that are waiting to see you and and you know have some pretty decent nest eggs that they want to invest including some people that are younger right you know what it's a rare when i get somebody who's young it is it is a rare and to tell you the truth if if they are young and they want to come out of the gate with zero savings and they want to buy say maybe you know amazon from you a fifteen hundred dollar stock i turn i'll turn them away um because i don't want that liability and two they're they're trying to build a house with the roof first instead of the foundation first, which is inevitably going to be trouble. So um, my reasoning for the reason why I answered is because majority of my clients are are the wrong verge of the world. They have saved a nice nest egg back. They have done the proper planning and the keep on cutting, and, you know, they got their house in order, so to speak. And those people are obviously winners in the, in the, in the savings game anyway. But the young people, honestly... It's very scarce that I get a young investor that has adequate savings that can, you know, forge ahead and build a financial or, or a stock portfolio. As a matter of fact, they pulled millennials, and they don't even believe in the stock market. 
they think it's a, a rigged game like a, the casinos, mm-hmm. <laughs> which the data shows the exact opposite. But that, that's just a, it's just a different way of thinking with them. They uh, overall, to be honest with you, Ron, I'm biased and. They drive me crazy, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, but I mean, what, what, they're, what, they're usually what, not our investors. Yeah, I mean that tells you though, would it not, John? From just outside of uh, you know talking about investing, that's a serious problem ahead for the country though. When we have when we're living supposedly longer and when we don't have people saving, I mean it's a, it's a big problem to come, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. It, it. it is, it is. But keep in mind this, you know, their parents which are people like you, are, are leaving them a lot of money because you're spending, think about this in a long-term chess game with this, the spending habits that you have and your parents had and my parents have and even me, we don't, we're not going to change. Just if, if we have a couple million dollars in the bank uh, and we have no bills, it doesn't mean we're going to go out and buy a new Ferrari every year. More right. likely you're going to continue to cut coupons and, and go to the place that has a two-for-one on uh, dinners or whatever have you. Whatever got you there to being financially independent and successful is probably what you're going to be to the grave, which means there's going to be a couple million dollars that are going to be inherited from this gener- you know, to this generation. So I don't think it's as bad a trouble as you may think it is. Not to mention, I will say the millennials, for what they lack in... in uh, I guess common sense and savings. Um, they're, they're definitely they're very frugal. They don't they, they they don't want to spend on things that are not important to them. And and so I think that overall that it, between them uh, saving and their own type of plan, and I, and I don't know what that is to tell you, but they do. I know they save, and then inheriting money from their parents or the grandparents. I think they're going to be okay. They you know, just happen to get lucky. You know, John, um, if, you, if you talk about millennials and that kind of stuff, one thing if I, in a Wall Street Journal I happen to read where they say millennials will save their money and always spend it on tech stuff, you know, the latest phone, the late, anything, yep. tech, anything tech. So that doesn't surprise me when you like like the tech sector and that kind of stuff because that's where people of that generation want to spend their money. That's where they do spend their money, correct? It is. I mean, you look at what happens when a new iPhone comes out. They'll sleep on the. They'll sleep in front of the store for a day or two days before it comes out, and hopes to get the product. Uh, and uh, now think about that. Think about you and I. All right, the the latest. Um, I don't know. Nintendo come out in the mid eighties. Uh, let me tell you something. I, my parents aren't sleeping out on the sidewalk in front of Best Buy. I, I'm definitely not. Uh, when I get it, I get it. But now, you know, that, that particular order has changed to where it's worth it to them to go from the iPhone 7 to the iPhone 10. All right, hang um, on, John. And, uh, uh, hang on a second. I want to go to Ray because Ray made an interesting point. Ray, are you there? I am. All right, uh, yes, I want I you am. to hear. I, okay, hang on, Ray. I want you to hear this, John. I, I asked Ray once, talk about that load board for one second, Ray. When it, I just want this as an example. I want John to hear it. When it was 18,000, what you told me the other day on the air and where it is today. Just to absorb this for a second, John. Go ahead, Ray. 51,000 last Thursday or Friday. 51,000. This is just one company. Do you remember, John, when he would call and say, hey, the load board's at twenty-five or 30,000, and that's about where it would normally be. Then it dropped down to eighteen or 20,000. Bad sign because nothing's being trucked by this particular company in, in, in the nation. And then he called me and he said the load board was at 51,000. Think of that, John. I mean, your reaction, please. But, well, 
I've always used Ray as a as a gauge to where the markets are and where the markets are heading, and he knows that. And um, and I think that's very uh, very significant that data, and I think that data is right on uh, as far as uh, where the market's going. If you get a load board at fifty one thousand, the average say is twenty, and the market we think is going to do above average, and the economy is going to do above average, then it goes hand in hand. But there's no better gauge of the American economy than truck da- truck driving data, in my opinion. There, there's nothing that hits home more than that. Right, and, uh, that's welcome. incredible insight and good data for the program. Go ahead, Ray. That's, this is what's so confusing, John. I, I, I'm telling you what those numbers are. And then, the, the, the real quick here, the Atlanta Fed. In February the 1st, they come out with a prediction of 5.4% for this first quarter this year. And subsequently, over the last month and a half, they've dropped it on March the 16th. They Now they're saying 1.8. Now, how in the world do you go, if you're in the Atlanta Fed, predicting the growth in the economy from 5.4 to 1.8? How is that possible? I don't get it. It's not possible. It's manipulated. Okay. I, I, I think it's manipulated. I don't know what else to say to that. Uh, what, what, what uh, I'm, if, if I can figure out a way to send it to you, I will. Yeah, but hang on a second, Ray. How, how uh, you know you have a contradiction here? You have you have uh, you have product being moved at fifty thousand loads, which is unheard of during. You didn't hear of it during Obama or any of this kind of stuff. So there's obviously sales taking place and a lot a lot of stuff being moved. And you have Larry Kudlow and John Arnold, incidentally, which I asked him about it, agreeing with agreeing with Kudlow for John. You agree with that four to five percent growth? I heard that correct, right? I mean, one hundred percent. All right, so so what do you say? Okay, Cudlow's saying that, John Arnold's saying that, the load board's saying that. Where the hell is the Fed with with, with that kind of stuff? It doesn't make sense, or it isn't consistent. Uh, I'm just asking you this, Ray. F- consumer confidence, 14 year high. Food stamps at a low. Uh, a black and Hispanic unemployment at a low. Employment opportunities at a high. Advertising for jobs. You with the load board. All of the stuff that that we just got done talking about here. Then could the, could that Fed number be wrong, Ray? I mean, what's your comment, Ray? Well, I don't know. I mean, Goldman come out when they, and they're thinking like uh, two, two, two point one. So I really don't know. It's just I agree. It doesn't make any sense. I am saying the stuff is moving. Whether or not it's getting sold out of the stores or you know out of the warehouse or something else. Let me ask you the, uh, one more other question, John. I'm going to give you a real quick thing here. You've got the Fed going to raise rates this week. You got the end of the week. The Congress is going to pass hopefully an omnibus bill for 1.2 trillion dollars. Are you a currently right now? Are you a buyer, a holder, or a seller? I'm a buyer and holder. Buyer and holder. Okay. And I think I'm you're opposite. I'm right. Yeah, I am. I'm. I'm still pessimistic on it right now. And the only reason is, you know, and you can explain it better than, than I can, John. The market and the economy are two different things. They sh- you would think they would go together, but they don't always do that. You know, you're accurate in that statement, and I've touted that. So, I, you know, unfortunately it sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but it's too hard to explain my theories on things over an hour show. I do believe that somewhat, obviously, it has to affect, it has to go interchangeably a little bit, the market and the, and the economy, Okay. However, I do believe the majority of it is manipulated. It's buyers versus sellers, supply and demand. 
to where, you know, economic economic data is not too in tune 100% with Wall Street data. I agree with that 100%. But I, don't, I can also say on the other side of my mouth that it, let's say that GDP was reporting at a minus, okay, and we're heading for a recession and then maybe a depression, which is two, two straight quarters of recession. Um, and I don't see that market continue going up. So that kind of defeats that theory. Just the opposite holds true. We are in great economic data times. We are. Uh, there's a reason why they're going to increase quarterly interest rates. Um, there is a reason why GDP growth is going up. Um, and sure enough, the market overall year to year has been mirroring that. So do I think it's one-on-one, -on -one, you know, tit for tat? No, I don't. But I do think that some of it plays in, into a – some of it plays into into itself, don't you think? Don't you think that one has a little bit of bearing on the other? Um, oh, I, can't I, be I absolutely, I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. I'll say this real quick. Yeah, I am on the opposite side, but I'm I'm kind of on your side too. I think they're just looking for a reason to sell, and it don't really have to be all that great a one, and then they'll rebound. But I do yeah, but think I just I just think they're looking for a reason to sell. Right, but who else? Okay, thank you, Ray. Appreciate your call. But who else? Who else? In essence, basically, John, what you're saying, and just, well, and then we we'll get to how we get a hold of you. Basically, you're saying some of the big money manipulates the market. When we're talking what we were just talking about, that doesn't make sense. You're saying it's because of big money manipulating the market. Is that correct? Uh, I do. I think I think that big money has always been manipulating the market, but really, it's so intrusive now because of supercomputers. So it used to be a person handing off trade tickets, and now it's supercomputers trading millions of trillions of shares per right. second faster than our brains can think. So I think it's all manipulated. But if you could find a way to stay on the side where manipulation helps you, I think overall you should be a winner in the stock market if you own good stuff. All right, we're talking with John Arnold. What a busy day it was today in, uh, in the markets with a lot of stuff to cover, John, and we got it all covered. I appreciate that. Uh, tell people how they can find you, get a hold of you, get your uh, input on what to do and where, where things are going, please. Um, they can reach us at 330-965-9890. Uh, you can visit us at, at www.jarnoldwalt.com www.jarnoldwealth.com. You can throw me an email at jarnold at jarnoldwealth.com, uh, and obviously we'll get back to you. Uh, do we have a couple minutes, Ron, or are we out of time? Uh, uh, well, you got about a, you got about a minute or so. Go ahead. Okay. Just like well, you know, I, I, I one of the restaurants I eat at all the time is Blue Wolf Tavern, and I partnered up with a guy named Joe there. He's gonna start. Uh, he's helped me, you know, give gift cards out to um, some good callers. So on future shows. So if you have a good question that the audience can learn from, like Ray, uh, you know, Blue Wolf has agreed to partner with me and send him out a gift card. I particularly love that place, in my opinion. Great gourmet food, and uh, it's just an outstanding place to dine. I, I love it. Uh, with that said, I always enjoy the callers, and uh, it helps not only me, but obviously the other listeners, um, you know, learn a little bit from the show, and that's what the show's about, is an education show. show. So thanks, I really appreciate your help on the show, Ron, and, um, and, uh, and these were great questions today, and definitely and Ray helping us out, and I think we addressed a lot of our criteria here. There was so much to cover today, I didn't think I'd even get it all in in the hour to be yeah, with you, John. Thanks. And I appreciate that. Okay, once again, to get a hold of John off the air, and uh, to schedule an appointment with John. What's the phone number, John? 
330-965-9890. And we always uh, offer free, uh, no-obligation consultations. Thank you, John. Appreciate it, buddy. We'll Thank talk you. to you next Bye-bye. Monday at 6, live from Stadium Gym in the heart of Salem. Don't forget, download the iHeartRadio app. It's free. Take us with you wherever you go. You won't find a finer dealership than Stadium GM in